Section six of Dissertation on Oriental Gardening by Sir William Chambers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Yearsley. Section six. An explanatory discourse by Tan Chet Kwa of Kwang Chu Fu, gentleman, FRSS, MRAAP, also MIAAFTRA, CGHMW, and ATTQ wherein the principles laid down in the foregoing dissertation are illustrated and applied to practice preface every new system naturally meets with opposition when the monster novelty appears all parties alarmed at the danger unite to raise a clamour each cavils at what it doth not like or doth not comprehend till the whole project is pulled to pieces and the projector stands plumed of every feather not only robbed of the praise due to his labour and good intentions, but, like a common enemy, branded with scorn and abuse. In the first hurry of criticism, every deviation is accounted an error, every singularity an extravagance, every difficulty a visionary's dream. Warm with resentment, biased by interests and prejudices, the angry champions of the old rarely show mercy to the new which is almost always invidiously considered and too often unjustly condemned sensible of these difficulties the author of the foregoing dissertation written in direct opposition to the stream of fashion harboured no sanguine hopes of fame from his publication far from expecting at the first either applause or encouragement he even judged artifice necessary to screen him from resentment and clothed truth in the garb of fiction to secure it a patient hearing the success of his little work however in one sense far exceeded expectation at its first appearance here it found not only a patient but a very indulgent reception and it has since been equally fortunate in france and other parts of europe where monsieur de la rochette's elegant translation has made it known yet flattering as this extensive suffrage may seem it is in reality rather mortifying to the author who finds from the nature of the encomiums bestowed upon his performance that it has been more generally liked than understood and that whilst a few have honoured it with a deliberate reading and separated the substance from the vehicle in which it was contained far the greater number have mistaken the mask for the reality and considered it simply as a pleasing tale as the mere recital of a traveller's observation or as the luxuriant effusions of a fertile imagination a splendid picture of visionary excellence whether these misapprehensions arose from want of perspicuity in the writer or want of attention in the readers admits of no dispute the former was most probably the case the author, therefore, who wishes to be perfectly understood, and is more ambitious of being useful than entertaining, humbly begs leave to offer, at the end of this second edition, such reasons and explanations as seem necessary, either to remove doubts or clear obscurities. He flatters himself they will be found sufficient, and serve to place the work in its true, its most advantageous light of these illustrations he saw the necessity some time ago and framed them into a discourse supposed to be pronounced by chet kwa then in england 
judging it at that time a sort of propriety to put in the mouth of a chinese what farther information was wanted relative to his country but as there is now no longer any necessity for disguise both the dissertation and explanatory discourse ought certainly to appear in their natural dress to new model them however would require more time than the author can possibly spare he therefore has republished the dissertation in its original form and the discourse as it was originally written hoping the indulgent reader will pardon these defects and gather the fruit if there be any together without minding the trees on which it grows introduction all the world knew chet kwa and how he was born at kwang chu fu in the fourth moon of the year twenty eight also how he was bred a face-maker and had three wives two of whom he caressed very much the third but seldom for she was a virago and had large feet he dressed well often in thick satin wore nine whiskers and four long nails with silk boots calico breeches and every other ornament that mandarins are wont to wear equalling therein the prime macarons and savoir vivres not only of kwang chu but even of kiang ning or shun tiang fu footnote kwang chu fu canton for she was a virago and had large feet both which are accounted great defects in china nine whiskers and so on all bows wear whiskers in china and all gentlemen long nails to show that they are idle kiang ning or nang king capital of kiang nang shun tiang fu peking End footnote. of his size he was a well-spoken portly man for a chinese a pretty general scholar and for a heathen a very complete gentleman he composed a tiese or biedu at pleasure recited verses either in manchu or chinese and sung love-songs in many languages he likewise danced a fandango after the newest taste of macao played divinely upon the bagpipe and made excellent remarks which when he lodged at mr mars in the strand he would repeat to his friends over a pipe as often as they pleased for he was fond of smoking provided the tobacco was good and upon these occasions was always vastly pleasant and very communicative amongst his favourite topics were painting music architecture and gardening to the last of which he seemed most affected often disserting thereon till he was tired and the audience fast asleep for the tone of his voice was like opium to the hearers his method was diffuse and the subject though a good one not generally interesting one day he launched out into a long description of the eastern gardens especially those of his own country to which he was exceedingly partial and in the conclusion compared them to a splendid feast at which there were pleasures for every sense and food for every fancy whilst our gardens he said were like spartan broth which was disgustful to all but spartan palates or like the partial niggardly treats of the fable adapted only to organs of a peculiar construction he advanced many other odd positions 
spoke very freely, as well of our gardeners as gardens, and ended recommending the Chinese taste in preference to all others. We were diverted with the discourse from its singularity and the variety of new ideas in which it abounded, yet as it ran in direct opposition to the general opinion and usage of England, and recommended a system which appeared to us rather visionary than practicable, we animadverted upon all its parts with the utmost freedom, neither sparing the speech nor speaker in any particular. The severity of our criticism at first disconcerted poor Chetqua, who remained silent and in apparent confusion, but after a short pause he reassumed his usual good humour, his countenance cleared up, he arose, bowed to the company, and, stroking his nine whiskers, began the following discourse. Discourse, and so on. Tan lu ji chan yue, ko u po ko chue. U yun king tai pan, fo fo teyo lo ti. Footnote. Tan lu ti tian yue, and so on. The motto which Chetqua has made choice of is part of a poem written by Qian Long, reigning emperor of China, in praise of drinking tea, and published by his imperial edict, bearing date the twelfth day of the ninth moon of the thirteenth year of his reign, in thirty-two different types or characters, under the inspection of Yun Lo and Hong Yan, princes, by the title of Tsin Ouang, Fu Heng, grandee, by the title of Te Pao, Count, by the title of Valiant, and First President of almost all the great tribunals of the Empire, whose deputies were Ak Daun and Tsing Pao, grandees, by the title of Te Tsi Chao Pao, and these were again assisted by Ifan Fouki El Guengue, Techi, Ming Te, Tsung Win, Xiang Yu, Toun Min, and about a dozen other mandarins of rank and reputation. So there is no doubt but the work is perfectly correct. Here follows the exact copy of it, with an English translation, for the entertainment and instruction of the curious in poetry. There is a French translation of the same work by Father Amio, published at Paris in 1770, from which the present publication is in a great measure taken, the editor having found it easier to translate from the French copy than from the Chinese original. Mei hoa che pao yao, fo chiyo hiang zie kie, zong che ue fang ni, san pin chu tsing kue, pong yi che kio tang, old chet cheng kuang hue, Howo heyo pian yu hie ting yan yi cheng mie yu ngio po sian jou tan lo ti chan yue o yun king tai pan ko po ko choe fo fo tayo lo ti ho ho yun kiang che o tsuen i ko san Lin Fu Chang Che Pie Lanku Chao Chio Ngan Po Xiao Yu Chao An Q 
han xiao ting sing liu kou yue kan hiwen tsue joan pao chen ki yu xiao king sing o kie kien long ping in xiao chun yu ti translation the colours of the mei hua are never brilliant yet is the flower always pleasing in fragrance or neatness the fo chio has no equal the fruit of the pine is aromatic its odour inviting in gratifying at once the sight the smell and the taste nothing exceeds these three things and if at the same time you put upon a gentle fire an old pot with three legs grown black and battered with length of service after having first filled it with the limpid water of melted snow and if when the water is heated to a degree that will boil a fish or redden a lobster you pour it directly into a cup made of the earth of yue upon the tender leaves of superfine tea and if you let it rest there till the vapours which rise at first in great abundance forming thick clouds dissipate by degrees and at last appear merely as a slight mist upon the surface and if you then gently sip this delicious beverage it is labouring effectually to remove the five causes of discontent which usually disturb our quiet you may feel you may taste but it is impossible to describe the sweet tranquillity which a liquor thus prepared procures retired for some space of time from the tumults of business i sit alone in my tent at liberty to enjoy myself unmolested in one hand holding a fo chiao which i bring nearer to my nose or put it farther off at pleasure in the other hand holding my dish of tea upon which some pretty curling vapours still appear i taste by intervals the liquor by intervals i consider the mei hua i give a fillip to my imagination and my thoughts are naturally turned towards the sages of antiquity i figure to myself the famous old Tsuen, whose only nourishment was the fruit of the pine he enjoyed himself in quiet amidst this rigid frugality i envy and wish to imitate him i put a few of the kernels into my mouth i find them delicious sometimes methinks i see the virtuous lin fo bending into form with his own hands the branches of the mei hoa cho it was thus say i to myself that he relieved his mind after the fatigues of profound meditation on the most interesting subjects then i take a look at my shrub and it seems as if i were assisting lin fo in bending its branches into a new form i skip from lin fo to chao chion or to yu chuan and see the first in the midst of a vast many teacups filled with all kinds of tea of which he sometimes tastes one sometimes another thus varying incessantly his potation while the second drinks with the profoundest indifference the best tea and scarcely distinguishes it from the vilest stuff my taste is not theirs why should i attempt to imitate them but i hear the sound of the evening bell the freshness of the night is augmented already the rays of the moon strike through the windows of my tent and with their lustre brighten the few movables with which it is adorned 
I find myself neither uneasy nor fatigued. My stomach is empty, and I may without fear go to rest. It is thus that with my poor abilities I have made these verses in the little spring of the tenth moon of the year Ping Yin of my reign, Kien Long. End footnote. If in the hurry and warmth of speaking, Chet Kwa has used expressions that seemed disrespectful or inadvertently started notions that appeared extravagant, as you gentlemen are pleased to assert, it is more than he intended. His sole aim at this meeting has been to point out a style of gardening preferable to yours, and to show how much more may be done in that art than has hitherto been thought on by your or any other European nation. To enumerate impossibilities or amuse an audience with golden dreams and glittering shadows would answer no useful purposes, and could therefore neither be the business nor intention of Chet Kwa, who speaks not for the pleasure of speaking, nor with a desire of tickling the ear, but with the hope of being serviceable. He laments his want of perspicuity, to which alone your misapprehensions must be imputed and begs leave to trespass on your patience a few moments longer, to explain himself more clearly, and endeavour to remove your prejudices against him. He is sorry to have been under a necessity of censuring, even in a distant manner, what seemed to him imperfect amongst you. But whoever would be instrumental in the advancement of science must declare his mind freely, and sometimes enforces precepts by examples that exist. His observations have been as general as the subject would permit, for it is never his inclination to give offence. Yet where truth is to be investigated, the truth must necessarily be told, else little or no progress can ever be made. Where men play the sycophants, and tacitly suffer or meanly applaud what they do not approve, no amendment can ever be expected. It is true that dissensions in opinion, however well meant, will often bear an invidious aspect, and always must offend some interested individuals. Yet to the community they are generally advantageous, and should always be favourably received, as they give birth to new discoveries, and ultimately point out the highest perfection had no man ever ventured to dissent from his neighbour, our age would be as dark as were those of Fo He, Xing Tong, or Huang Ti. Footnote Fo He, Xing Tong, or Huang Ti. Some of the first emperors of China who invented the eight quas, together with the Ketsi, and created Koleos. End footnote and I am firmly persuaded that your English gardening would now have been much more perfect had anyone ever dared to dispute its excellence. But to dissent is an unthankful business, a dangerous talk that few have spirits to undertake, particularly where party rage is violent, as it now and then seems to be amongst you. But I come to the point. In China, our large gardens are obtained at an almost incredible expense, 
and attended with many inconveniences amongst you whose policy whose manners are totally different from ours they might often be had at a moderate charge and without much trouble for formidable as they may at first appear it is certain that most of their scenery is easily executed when proper opportunities occur which is frequently the case in europe particularly in england where your illustrious families have large domains where agriculture is neater and more various than in other countries and where the face of nature is in general more luxuriant as well as better contrasted it is natural enough for a stranger to be dazzled with the splendour of our oriental plantations upon a cursory inspection to conclude them too vast too magnificent too expensive for european imitation and that in your part of the world the greatest princes should not be indulged with such articles of luxury calculated as they seem to exhaust their treasures waste their lands rob and oppress their subjects but a more attentive examination will probably give birth to more favourable opinions and serve to prove that not only your princes but even your private gentlemen may emulate us in this particular very safely and that our style of gardening may be adopted amongst you even in its whole extent without being attended with any of the inconveniences just now recited it is not the fence that constitutes the garden cobham stourton blenheim would still be what they are though the pales or walls by which they are enclosed were taken away neither is privacy necessary to the essence of a garden for richmond and kew are surely the same when open to all the world as when they are only accessible to the royal family nor is useful or profitable culture incompatible with the idea either of our chinese or your english gardening any tract of land therefore whose characteristic expressions have been strengthened by art and in which the spontaneous arrangements of nature have been corrected improved and adorned by the hand of taste ought to be considered as a garden though only fenced with common hedges and although the roads or paths passing through it be public and the grounds of which it is composed cultivated to the utmost advantage there remains then no obstacle to your rivalling the chinese either in the grandeur or extent of their gardens in which you seem to fix the insuperable difficulties of the imitation since you have parks forests manors and royalties some even in private hands more extensive than is necessary and since these may be so improved and converted into gardens upon the plan now mentioned without waste of land without invasion of property without annoyance or seclusion of the public and certainly with less damage or expense to the owner than are usually incurred in the article of your common gardening as no chargeable keeping or fencing would be necessary no grounds unprofitably employed no considerable assistance from art wanted 
for the features of real nature being in themselves generally more perfect as well as greater than the finest imitations require very few helps seldom any that are expensive every artist therefore who has the fortune to meet with patrons of large possessions and liberal sentiments may give full scope to his imagination and boldly apply whatever he has seen heard or his own fancy may have suggested that is great extraordinary or surprising instead of confining his views to a few acres to form a trifling composition scarcely superior to the desert at a festival and which though insignificant as it would be none but the healthful and vigorous could ever see he may convert a whole province into a garden where the spectator instead of toiling on foot as usual to see a few nothings and performing more revolutions than a horse in a mill may wander over a whole country at his ease in ships or in barges in carriages or on horseback feasting the sight with scenes of the boldest dimensions and contemplating the luxuriant varied productions of nature improved and nobly enriched by art and permit me to say that gardens of this sort would not only be more magnificent but also much more beautiful and perfect in every respect than any even amongst the best of your artificial performances in the great style of gardening neatness is not only superfluous but destructive of the principal intent the common roads bridleways and paths of a country however wild are always preferable to the stiff formal made walks of a garden they are in themselves grander more natural and may with a very little assistance a very few accompaniments be made as commodious as rich as varied and as pleasant fields covered with corn turnips beans potatoes hemp or productions of a similar nature meadows pasture-lands hop-grounds orchards and other parts of english culture interwoven with common hedges or blended with accidental plantations require little if any assistance from art to be more picturesque than lawns the most curiously dotted with clumps and villages country churches farmhouses or cottages when placed with judgment and designed with taste enrich and adorn a landscape as well as more expensive structures the rivers of nature flow in forms that art can never equal their natural modifications particularly in mountainous places are sufficiently numerous a little management heightens or diminishes all their expressions varies their appearances and adapts them to scenes of any character their banks are soon adorned even in the richest manner for roses a thousand other shrubs and most perennial flowers will grow as easily and with as little culture as primroses and briars do a few of these a little planting properly employed and blended with rural buildings bridges ruins monumental urns and other trifling decorations spread over the whole an appearance that equals even surpasses the most elaborate cultivation in every large tract of land there generally are some places abundantly supplied with water 
which often flows through uncouth marshy bottoms of little use or value to the owner by raising heads at their extremities these are easily overflowed and lakes of very considerable dimensions may thus be obtained often without much trouble always with great advantages as well in point of profit as of pleasure and wherever it may be necessary to dig in order to give a proper depth to the water the earth may be raised into islands of various shapes which serve to complicate the forms to enrich and beautify the scenery though woods from various causes are now more rare than heretofore amongst you yet are there in most parts some still remaining their natural beauties are many and little more is left for art to do in them than to form roads to thin or thicken them occasionally where it may be wanting to intersperse amongst the plantations a few proper shrubs and flowers to open recesses and to decorate them with objects this done they will be infinitely superior in every respect to any of the gaudy trifling confused plantations with which all your english-made gardens are so crowded england abounds with commons and wilds dreary barren and serving only to give an uncultivated appearance to the country particularly near the metropolis to beautify these vast tracts of land is next to an impossibility but they may easily be framed into scenes of terror converted into noble pictures of the sublimest cast and by an artful contrast serve to enforce the effect of gayer and more luxuriant prospects on some of them are seen gibbets with wretches hanging in terrorem upon them on others forges collieries mines coal tracts brick or lime kilns glassworks and different objects of the horrid kind what little vegetation they have is dismal the animals that feed upon it are half famished to the artist's hands and the cottagers with the huts in which they dwell want no additional touches to indicate their misery a few uncouth straggling trees some ruins caverns rocks torrents abandoned villages in part consumed by fire solitary hermitages and other similar objects artfully introduced and blended with gloomy plantations would complete the aspect of desolation and serve to fill the mind where there was no possibility of gratifying the senses in prosecuting a plan of this extensive nature many other opportunities would present themselves to the able artist of dignifying nature and of heightening his compositions with all the force of novelty and grandeur stone quarries chalk pits mines might as easily be framed into vast amphitheatres rustic arcades and peristyles extensive subterraneous habitations grottoes vaulted roads and passages as into other shapes hills might without much difficulty be transformed into stupendous rocks by partial incrustations of stone judiciously mixed with turf fern wild shrubs and forest trees gravel pits or other similar excavations 
might be converted into the most romantic scenery imaginable by the addition of some planting intermixed with ruins fragments of sculpture inscriptions or any other little embellishments and in short there would be no deviation however trifling from the usual march of nature but what would suggest to a fruitful imagination some extraordinary arrangement something to disguise her vulgarity to rouse the attention of the spectator and to excite in his mind a succession of strong and opposite sensations it is thus that far the noblest part of our chinese gardens and those which at first sight appear most impracticable may be obtained even amongst the common dispositions of english nature and the great might thus have pleasure-grounds extensive and extraordinary as those of the east without any very considerable expense men of less note would naturally imitate their superiors by embellishing their possessions in the same manner and instead of spending large sums to fence and to lard a little field with twigs to give it the name of a garden they would beautify their whole estate which by a proper attention to the economical precepts of our chinese gardeners might be done in such a manner as to increase its value as well as improve its appearance by these means this whole kingdom might soon become one magnificent vast garden bounded only by the sea the many noble seats and villas with which it abounds would give uncommon consequence to the scenery and it might still be rendered more splendid if instead of disfiguring your churches with monuments our chinese manner of erecting mausoleums by the sides of the roads was introduced amongst you and if all your public bridges were adorned with triumphal arches rostral pillars bas-reliefs statues and other indications of victory and glorious achievements in war an empire transformed into a splendid garden with the imperial mansion towering on an eminence in the centre footnote an eminence in the centre meaning windsor probably End footnote. and the palaces of the nobles scattered like pleasure pavilions amongst the plantations infinitely surpasses anything that even the chinese ever attempted yet vast as the design appears the execution is certainly within your reach end of section six